One of the joys of growing older is not remembering when you told different stories or where you heard them or whether it happened or you are in the impression that it did happen. I preached in congregations where there were three, three in attendance and two of us were visitors. And I preached in small rural congregations in Arkansas. And it's one of those, I don't remember if I had read the story ahead of time or somebody had shared that with me. Uh, you show up for a Sunday evening service and there's very few people there. And the story goes where the preacher was out in a rural congregation and shows up to preach and there's only one other soul there. And they're talking and uh, he said, well, I don't know if I ought to preach the lesson or not. And the farmer said, he said, listen, when I go out to feed the cows, if only one cow shows up, I feed the cow. And the farmer said, okay. I mean, the preacher said, okay, I'll go ahead and preach my lesson. Preached his lesson and he got done. The farmer said, when I said I go out to feed the cow, I didn't mean to fed him the whole load. So you modify things along the way. It is well with my soul. I think as you read through the scriptures, and particularly we're in Acts chapter 10, and you see the, the thoughts and the concern that are being that Peter is expressing about going to the household of Cornelius. That Jesus went about doing good, summation of his life. And it's thinking about Jesus going about doing good that we need to, at time, to reflect upon. Again, I stand in awe of the creator of the universe and what he's created. Stand in awe of how he's created us, human beings, and the magnitude of what we're able to do. A little bit reminded of what happened in that, or Genesis chapter 11 when man was speaking one language and God said whatever man sets his mind to he'll be able to achieve. So the confusion of the language, but you see as time unfolded when man does work together what he's able to do, but oftentimes it is for what God said it would be for the praise of man more than for the glory of God. But you see what man has been able to do when they work together. Think back over the years when individuals first lost limbs for one reason or another and man's adapting to that in one way or another, peg legs and whatever else may be along the line. And what we've been able to develop more recently, but again, they're getting closer and better at it, but they still have not really matched duplicating skin and muscle and tone that God has created. And it's amazing. But it, all that tells me again is that always takes intelligence. Regardless of what man has done, or regardless of how long it's taken man to accomplish these things, it always says it's taken intelligence to do that. It goes back in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. 
You see the magnitude of God's power demonstrated at different times, Genesis 6 and the flood. Other history, historical accounts given for us of what God was able to do, the delivering of the people out of Egyptian bondage and then the closing up the Red Sea on the Egyptian army to destroy them, the magnitude of what he's able to do. What he can do with that spoken word. And then to see, as you see him sending Jesus into the world, this loving nature of God, that he sent Jesus to bring redemption for man. And you can think about man's imagination runs wild so many times, but you think about what God or how God could have done some things. And making his presence known in the world and making his will known in the world, the demonstrating of the force of his power to convince mankind that disobedience to God is going to bring a punishment that is beyond comprehension. But he never did that. You think of the world in which Jesus was born, recognizing that, again, the fact of a birth and a lowly manger and what we would perceive as an obscure part of the world that this would be the Savior of mankind. We live in a world today that we have major religions who want to claim Jerusalem as their roots, as their foundation. But again, to deal with Jesus is coming in. You see... His going about doing good. That spoken word again. The disciples marveled at it. To be at the Sea of Galilee at nighttime and to hear the winds howl and to hear like a storm outside. And then you get up in the morning and you look out on that sea and it's just as calm as glass. To hear his disciples out on that sea at night, rowing and the winds blowing and the winds beating against the ship, the waves beating against the ship, enough that it begins to sink. And Jesus asleep on a pillow. Man's response is, I'm sure ours has been the same response. Master, carest not that we perish. Don't you care that we're about to perish? The waves are overwhelming the ship. They're going to go down and they're seasoned fishermen. And Jesus simply gets up, rebukes the, the wind and the waves, and it's calm. And they're marvel. How is this? Or who is this that can calm the waves? 
the patience that God has, the peace that he brings in trying to bring salvation to man, the various ways that he demonstrated it. Again, the reading of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, looking at Matthew 26 and 27, Read those accounts. Read John 13. The lessons and how Jesus chose to teach those lessons in that humble way. To rebuke the disciples at time when they really did not understand the nature of Jesus and why he had come. How many times do you read through the Gospels of the disciples when they were apart and separate from Jesus, argued among themselves which one of them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And he would ask them, what were you discussing on the road? And I'm sure we would have been like they were. Don't really want to tell, I don't want to tell you what I was discussing on the road with the others. Because we're discussing position. We're discussing rank. We're discussing prestige. We're discussing honor. Then Jesus can quietly teach them. You want to be great? I'll show you how to be great. You just be the servant of all. You lose that pride, that greatness, that positioning, jockeying for positions, and you just simply serve. The master did not come to be served. He came to serve, and again, that's a sobering thought. And Peter simply saying to Cornelius, he went about doing good. What a summation of a life. How else, excuse me, how else could you describe that life that Jesus led? We have the four Gospels. We have the Old Testament making all the predictions of what he would do when he came. We have the letters following the Gospels that tell us how life was lived because he lived and how it's changed the course of history. But look how he did it. The change that took place, the trying to allow individuals to see, and you see that laid out for, if you will, in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 of how God worked in his working. Gentiles left to themselves will not seek God. Humanity on its own is not seeking God. They're looking at what's out there. They're trying to devise in their mind what took place or how it took place. They're not able to accurately describe in any shape, form, or fashion of how this world began. 
And they're not looking to God. There are those at times have denied God all their life and towards the end of their life have made at least some acknowledgement that there's a supreme being. But we really don't know if he is the God of the Bible. But how even God's people did not understand what God was doing or how he chose to do it. Read the small book of Jonah. Jonah didn't want, did not want to go to Nineveh. One is because, the main reason being, he knew God. He was told, go preach repentance. In 40 days, he had come to destroy the city. Jonah knew God. He knew God would keep his word. If the people repented, God would not punish. That's not what Jonah wanted. They were the enemies. But then Paul reminds us in Romans 3 and verse 23, are we not all enemies of God? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're enemies. And we stand in need of the same message. And sometimes we respond in the same way of Jonah. I know the nature of God. We're grateful that he showed it to us. And we need to be grateful that he will show it to others as well. But that patience in doing that. The only thing that brings peace with God is forgiveness of sins. And the only thing that gives forgiveness of sins is the blood of Christ. And that blood was shed for all of mankind. And as Peter would struggle with that concept of going to Cornelius, to be able to understand and make that statement, we know that salvation can come to anyone who believes in God or in Jesus. That God is not a respecter of persons. That's a hard concept and a difficult one at times for us to work with. We discussed a little bit in the auditorium class this morning about the human nature and the nature of Jesus being a human, but that he was also divine. And the question it comes out as well, do we not also have a divine side? Does not 2 Corinthians 5, 17 come into play? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are a new creation. We have a spiritual aspect that has become alive. 
And then we are to take on that same nature that Jesus had. The compassion for the lost. Again, seeing his power throughout his ministry demonstrated in a way that it was simply giving those incidents, if you will, to say he has the power as he is God. He has chosen not to exercise it. Yet. Regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. He has not exercised the end of that patience yet. But that time is coming. Paul describes that in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse about 6 through 9. That God in his righteousness will come. Dealing, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of our Lord. His patience is there. Why he has chosen to extend it as long as he has? His grace and his mercy. The fact that he has shows that he continues to do good. He goes about doing good. It rains on the just and on the unjust. All can prosper or not. It's not because you're righteous or not because you're wicked. But that patience, that love that God extends to us is a reminder of how peaceful God is, if you will. But again, because again, the power is beyond description. You go into museums here and there and you can see that power of God. seen the pictures of a straw driven through a brick and be on both ends of that brick. I've seen a little bit bigger, but I've seen branches, a branch driven through a telephone pole sticking out at both ends as a result of the wind of God. Power? Why does he hold this world together? If it's not because he loves. Created it for that. Because he loves, it's still here. And for those who will follow and are following us, it's there because he loves them. But as we well know, time waits for no one. How many things have we planned to do 
when we have the time. And how many things as time has gone by and we look back and we did not do because we did not have the time. How many moments, how many situations, how many opportunities have we let slide? God in his grace and God in his mercy still patiently deals with us, does he not? Still allow us to have time. Those opportunities that are gone can never be recalled. Those that we wish we could have talked with can never be recalled. Those that we reach out to and they reject, it's hard. But their rejection of us can never be as great as our rejection of God in Christ. Peter is a reminder to us of how patient God is. Peter, I will never deny you. All the others will deny you, but I will never deny you. I will die for you. And denied him three times. I understand now and perceive that God is not a respecter of persons, and to everyone who believes, salvation is open to them. Telling Cornelius that. And then Acts or Galatians 2. Withdrawal from eating from the Gentiles when some Jews came down from Jerusalem. Played the part of a hypocrite. So much so that even Barnabas, that son of encouragement, got caught up in that hypocrisy. And God still loves. God still desires and longs for our salvation. He also longs for his body, the church, to be what God intended it to be. Those united together in the love of Christ. Those who are developing the attitude that Jesus had. Love one another as I have loved you. And as you look at John 13, verses 34 and 35, then read Matthew 26 and 27. How much did he love you? Is that how we see each other? Is that the depths of our love and our determination for one another? To what length are we willing to go? We're saying it is well with my soul. May that ever be. 
And may we always have a heart that is bowed down with sorrow at our imperfections and our lack individually of being who we ought to be. And may God in his grace and in his mercy help us to do what we know we need to do. Where is our life this evening? Where are we in light of the word of God? Is there a need for us to make a change? Is there a need for us to make a change in a public way? We have that need. We need to make that response. That invitation is open. And we bid you to come as together we stand and sing. Oh, heart, bow down.